0: listening to the candy shop talk brought to you by talent board and the candidate experience awards and research and hosted by kevin w grossman because improving candidate experience always impacts the business bottom line Welcome to another The Candy Shop Talk Podcast, where we talk about how improving candidate experience impacts recruiting and the business for the better. With me today is Ellen Bailey, Talent Experience Architecture Manager at Intel Corporation, a multi-year and multi-region candidate experience award winner. Welcome, Alyn.
1: Thank you. Pleasure to be here.
0: I'm so glad to be here. So listen, let's right out of the gate, let's let's ask you this. Tell us about your candidate experience journey, how it started, what prompted you to change how candidates were being treated. How do you define candidate? I know I'm throwing, a, it's like a four-prong question. Lynn. Isn't that fun? But <laughs> just tell us about the journey. How did it start with you and your team and, and, and Intel um, addressing candidate experience?
1: I would be wrong to say candidate experience was a new space for us when, when we kicked off as a team. But what I would say is that although Intel for many years had been trying to understand user experience in general, and part of that for us is candidates as well as our product users, right. um, we hadn't really put a, a high emphasis on it, right? We hadn't really understood what it meant to do that, um, so it was really um, about almost three years ago um, that our larger leadership organization came together, um, leadership organization for our global talent acquisition and said, listen, what is it gonna take for us to actually move the dial and not just land talent, but land the top talent in a more aggressive and specific way, particularly in our growing business areas until um, as a company uh, had started and is in the midst of a large, transition itself, trying to understand exactly where we wanted to focus our time and attention, what type of skills we needed, um, and talent was going to be pivotal in making that happen, and we needed to understand what, what would it take for us to get there, and we really realized what was critical for us is changing our paradigm on um, what hiring was all about, what the hiring process was all about, um, and that we needed to treat um, our candidates the way we were learning how to treat our Um, business partners and um, those people that we were selling products to and and what would that mean to us if we needed to do that so we started off small we started with a um, small group of um, three of us each of us located in a different region or globally this first saying, what would it take to drive the candidate experience? And we all came from different backgrounds. I came from a um, user experience and experience design background. Um, we had talent acquisition um, leaders who had been in the space for a very long time and um, recruiters and recruiting managers all working together. So we started small and then we realized that we needed to expand out um, and over the course of the last few years. Um, have built a pretty strong infrastructure focused on taking our ideas around Canva experience and then figuring out how to operationalize them, both in our infrastructure, our training programs, our experience culture frameworks, our goals, all of those pieces across the across the platform.
0: So I love the fact that you talked about starting small. And one of the things I know that I emphasize a lot uh, from not just from a candy's data perspective, but just for overall recruitment improvement or just business improvement is that it, it really does need to be in incremental changes that can make a difference in the long run. I mean, it's, we're not talking about, it's hard enough, right. To, to get a six, nine, 12 month change management initiative off the ground at a, at a smaller company, much less Intel for that matter. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, And it's it's great that you started as a small. What were some of the initial challenges, though, that that you needed to overcome, even with a small team?
1: Well, I think initially, right, we had um, one major challenge. And by the way, it's the same one we're still addressing today. We're just doing it from a lot more directions because it ended up being bigger than we thought. Sure. But the first challenge was saying, how do we start transitioning from, thinking from a business process design perspective around the hiring process, right? Which is what we had done. That's how we like many large corporations had moved to the process of how do we move volume through the system.
2: Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. And we
1: were aligned to that to that play. And transitioning from that to a perspective that said it isn't just about volume, it's about um more specific, targeted Individuals and more specific targeted talent plays. um, How do we switch that paradigm and that required shifting, not just how we think about talent, but our business processes, our systems. Um, It required thinking differently about the roles and what a recruiter does. Within our organization, and um, transitioning from a recruiter just being somebody who processes people from the ATS through the hiring process, mm-hmm. to really reinvigorating the idea of a recruiter as someone who's building pipeline, who's nurturing candidates, who is building long-term relationships and building long-term plays with candidates. Those those are all things that we've talked about, and people say have been going on for a long time. But the truth is, in big organizations like ours, it was all, when you're trying to move volume through it. It was all about time to hire, time to fill, mm, right? right? Right. And we had lost our emphasis on focus of um, not just quality of hire, but um, specific targeted hiring results.
0: Let me address that one first then, because I am assuming, based on what you're telling me now, that the candidate as customer is something that you guys do embrace now internally. Is that correct?
1: You know, it absolutely is. I would say the first thing that we had to do is figure out what is it that we need to focus on if we're going to make the candidate as customer. What does that mean to us? Uh-huh. We realized there were three things that we needed to to start to rally all of the different components around, right? Uh-huh. One was how do we build an overall experience culture, right? Meaning everybody seeing the candidate as customer. What does that mean? Yep. Um, the second piece we needed to do was say, well, what are the two big dials that if we started to turn them, we could start to change the impression and the experience candidates were having. So give somebody, people the actual what can you do answer, right?
2: Uh-huh. And
1: based on all of our candy research, the data that we got back from what was happening with our candidates looking at the benchmark data, um, and also some extra external research that we had done,
2: uh-huh. we realized
1: there were two dials that we needed to dial. One was creating dialogue with candidates, right? Uh across the entire spectrum, right? How do we start to create two-way dialogue and interaction? So it's less of us talking at them, and more of them having an opportunity to engage with us in dialogue. That takes everything from what the interview process looks like to our application process, um, to the way in which we do our attraction components, right? Uh Um, And then the second big one was, how do we create um, candidate connections, right? And that means uh, making, trying to find a way so that candidates actually feel like they are able to make a connection to a real human being at some level pretty quickly once they start to enter our process. Mm -hmm. We haven't figured that all out yet, but I think that's a big focus area for us that rather than having them enter the cog, right? The big wheel of, you know, the, the system stuff and the ATS and all of those pieces that they actually start to build connection, connection with a recruiter, connection with a hiring manager, connection with other employees, connection with other candidates, because um, we know connection is what drives behavior.
0: Well, those two go hand in hand, the communication and the connection. And, and just the fact that if you could improve, even again, just going back to the whole incremental theme, right? If you had improved... Mm-hmm even just a few percentage points a year and the fact that of, of lessening or reducing the amount of candidate resentment that occurs based on their yep. experience, of the process, that's, that's huge. And that can be a tremendous impact, not only on the business bottom line, but for your talent pools, for any referral networks that you may lose for those candidates that are going through that. So that's, again, that's huge. If just being able to turn that dial, right. My, my follow up question though to you is when it comes to, empowering the recruiters to go beyond just um, order-taking. Is that something yep. now, are, are they being held more accountable as well, though, for the treatment of candidates and for just, you know, getting the proverbial, quote-unquote, bottoms in the seats?
1: So I think there, we learned something early on. This is why starting small was really helpful for us. Because I think if we had started large, we may have started, we may have ended someplace different than we are today. Sure. When we started small, the first thing we found out was we were going out with some really good ideas, right? Saying, recruiters, we would like you to do this, or hiring managers, we'd like you to behave this way. And we would sit in training sessions and everybody would nod their head and say, yep, yep, sounds great. Because nobody inherently looks at trying to engage with other people and says, oh, I'm just going to treat them like a widget and drive them through the process. Right. Right. right, right. Nobody Mm -hmm. believes that's what they want to do. But at the end of the day, when they would go back to doing their actual jobs, um, we weren't seeing a lot of change
2: uh-huh. occurring.
1: And we tried to figure out why. And what we realized was is that it isn't just about the candidate experience. You can't change the candidate experience unless you look at the candidate experience, the hiring manager experience, and the recruiter experience as one big picture.
2: Oh, absolutely. But
1: recruiters, depending on what they're held accountable for, how their roles are aligned, what education they receive, um how they're they're treated within the larger picture are going to behave and and act differently and hold different things in priority right and the same thing's going to happen for hiring managers um, i think a good example is is that we would we said we came out early on with hiring managers and said you know what if you could do nothing else but just start providing feedback to candidates who were runners up or who didn't get the job, right? But that you had spent the time to interview. That would be a huge win for us in changing the perception of candidates who go through our system. And everybody nodded and said, that sounded like a great idea. But our business processes and our structures were aligned such that when a hiring manager finished the hiring process
2: Mm -hmm.
1: or finished the interview process, they would go into our ATS and they would click a button, right? that said, you know, done with the and move somebody to the next stage in the hiring process right. or into the, yeah. you know, right? And an automatic notification would get sent out of our system, right? Which would say something generic and bland and not necessarily customer friendly, like, you know, thank you for your interest, you're no longer right. being considered, right? right. right. Um, mm-hmm. And hiring managers would consider that, responding to what we'd ask them to do, which is go talk to candidates, right? So our business process and our system wasn't lining up with what we were asking them to do. And the minute we figured that out and we're able to start making some adjustments and say, okay, that's no longer the process. The process now is when you complete an interview, right, you have to have an interview plan afterwards that says, who am I going to contact afterwards and what's going to be my communication with them, right? And -hmm. it's not just a system that goes and processes it. Um, That's one example of where we started to make some shifts.
0: That's a great example, and especially at that stage. I mean, I, I can tell you that with all the the workshops that we did this last spring, uh, working with talent acquisition teams and their leaders, what was fascinating to me is that. And I, I again, I got pushback almost every other workshop saying, "You know what? We can't communicate with everybody. We can't give everybody that that happy touch of acknowledgement. Or, but I, and I'm and my argument. And, and many others in the room, too, that are doing this, they're going to say that you can, though. I mean, even, even at the, the application stage, yes, more of that's going to be automation than, than personal touch, of course, because you just can't scale. There's, there's a volume issue that you're dealing with. But at the interview stage, you better well be doing more, <laughs> more hands-on with these individuals um, and investing that time. So it's exciting to hear that you made that change in the process. So how's, right. that, how's that playing out now, then?
1: So I think it plays out different. I mean, let's, to be perfectly frank, I mean, I think it plays out we have different business groups who are at different levels of maturity in the, in the process, right? Now that we have been able to align a, a framework or an expectation and align our system so that as people, as people go from one step of the process to another, the system doesn't automatically take over for them and it puts some, some of the impetus back into their hands, yeah. the follow-up to that has been to say, and now here's what you do with it. Right. And it to us it's been as simple as saying to our hiring managers, um, and to our recruiters, give candidates the same level of follow-up that you had in your engagement. So if it was a phone, if they got through a phone screen and a phone interview, then they should get a phone call.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. If they got if they were still in the emailing back and forth space, then an email can work. If you had an interview with them, then you should be getting on the phone with them and having a more deep debriefer conversation. Um, and it's just been as simple as going through the, that process with them um, and starting to work with hiring managers about how they can have those conversations differently.
0: Yeah, exactly. What are some of the, the measures, recruiting measures, as well as at least either a dashed line or dotted line connection to candidate experience that are baked into your recruiting process? So besides the standard metrics out of the gate that you're, that recruiters are being measured by every day, what what how does it relate to candidate experience today at Intel?
1: So I think that there's two plays that we have in this space. Um, the first one has been um, putting into place a higher emphasis around quality of hire, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to and trying to um, figure out exactly what the criteria is for developing a quality of hire metrics and implementing it. Um, it today we're leveraging the CEB. Um, quality of higher metric and and have used that as a baseline to start kind of getting some global alignment around what that means um, but I think the second piece from us from a indicator or a metrics perspective has been starting to think differently about conversion not necessarily something that's always connected to candidate experience but for right. us we think it has a an interesting play so conversion um, is typically thought of as conversion from um, pipeline to hire Correct. right mm-hmm. we believe that if we start thinking differently about the candidate experience and think about the whole journey candidates go through that there's actual actually multiple conversion points oh, right? there's a yeah. conversion there's a conversion point from when I become a lead somebody who's just interested yep to converting to somebody who is um, more engaged and giving you more information that kind of moves into a prospect zone for us and then the conversion from prospect to applicant, and applicant to shortlist, and shortlist to hire, right? Just the transition of thinking about all of these different conversion points for us, which is something we're just starting to really get into, has been important for us to think differently about then what is the expectation at each of those conversion points for what the experience should be, right? Um, Which of the, how can we not only connect the indicator around the volume that converts from one to the other, Um, but also connect the indicators around things like ultimate moments of truth, right? How many times do we start to see um, candidates who convert from leads to prospects? What's the volume of content sharing that they're doing at that level?
2: Uh Um,
1: What's the volume um, and amount of engagement that they have um, that's actual dialogue engagement with recruiters, right? Stuff that we're able to start measuring and monitoring as we started to put more robust, um, CRMs in place, more robust recruitment marketing technologies in place so that we can track the front end of the pipeline.
0: Absolutely. Can you share, do you have an an example that you can share on what, what is an optimal conversion, for example, from lead to, to prospect or lead to application?
1: I would say right now um, is that what we have done is we started to go through the process of mapping what the customer journey is in each of yep. those spaces. And mm-hmm. so what... Um, And so all of our information right now is around what our current expectation would be in that space, right? And we're just starting to go through the process of collecting the amount of data and what our actual, what could we look, what's a good benchmark of percentage that we can move through? I think it's going to be interesting for us as we evolve in that space because, again, we've been such a big player in the volume game.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. It's right.
1: hard to help transition the perspective that it's not so much about the volume, but about the quality that moves through each of those components. That intentionally, we want the pipeline to be huge. And by the time it gets down to the conversion that goes from applicant to hire, it gets obviously much smaller, right? Right. And our level of engagement and what we're expecting during that engagement shifts. Um, so, I'll give you a good example. We're starting to put measures into place. Um, around the transition from um, what we call kind of lead to prospect, right? Uh-huh. And for us, this is a conversion place where we're looking at conversions of, we have basic lists or contact information from people and we're trying to convert them to people who actually give us a resume, a resume that we can segment as a hot prospect into a hot, um, uh, to a um, talent skill that we're looking for, yep. etc. cetera. Our previous conversion rates, in that space, we're very low, right? Less than 10%, mm-hmm.
2: right?
1: Because we were just, we were, we were, you know, post and pray, right? right? Now sure. we're moving to conversion rates. Now we're moving to conversion rates that we're already starting to see within the first few months of this, sitting somewhere in the 35 to 40% range without much extra nurturing going on. And we think once we start extra nurturing going on, we'll be able to move those numbers closer up to the 50 to 60% within the next six months.
0: Well that plays to the work that you're doing also um, uh, just imp- improving the the efficiencies of how you you're sourcing and recruiting as well, right I mean, if you're getting better targeted and more relevant, I mean you're talking n- number one, you're speaking like a, a true marketer, which I love hearing because that's really you know that's my background and when you're starting to talk about moving folks through pipeline and phases and it's all part of the sales process, right And if you're getting better at the front yeah. end, of your targeting and the relevancy of the content that you're, that you're pitching and or sharing with those potential candidates and the, those conversion rates are improving, you're doing a much better job at the front end and that's huge.
1: For us, it was a very critical space um, because I think what we started to figure out was is that creating the right candidate experience is not just about ensuring um, optimal candidate experience for every single person at huge volumes, right? It's about creating the right candy experience for the, for where they are in their journey at that moment. Right. Right, And and that changes where we put our focus.
0: How has the candy research itself helped you guys with some of the initiatives that you've been talking about?
1: So I think actually the candies have been a a real central piece for helping us get started with understanding what's currently happening um, from an experience perspective. So here's what we do with the data. When we get the data in, um, we actually take a look at it, um, and we take a look at not only ourselves, but we take a look at, um, how we've benchmarked against, um, other companies and, and, um, the candy winners overall. Um, and we start to glean from that. What are some key hypotheses or trends that we can start to see? And we take that data and then we go and start doing some deeper research. Uh-huh. Um, I have a team of people on my team who actually go out and start doing, um, more in-depth, um, Uh, user research with with candidates and prospects based on our framework. So an example of how this has led to some big changes for us was the initial set of data that we started to play with when the when the experience team really started to kick off about three years ago. We were looking at a bunch of data that was telling us that um, We were having some issues um, In our application stage right? That, that our drop-off mm-hmm. rates were high. We had data on Armin that showed that. The candidate, Candy data showed us something was going on, that there needed to be more engagement and more conversation sure. going on with candidates. But we also saw from the Candy research some very good insights that said, if we look not just ourselves, but at everybody else, that the importance of focusing on the application, although critical, right, at, at some level, was not really the big pivot point because candidates were telling us that they didn't like it, but they expe- it was what they expected because it's what they got every place else. And that allowed us to prioritize and to say, okay, the application is important, but what's really important out of the data that it's showing us is about the level of engagement that they're getting. So sure. how can we figure out what we can change in that space first? So we use it as a way to help prioritize where we're going to focus our attention. Um, and the second way we use the data is to help us look region by region um, how things are perhaps playing out differently in each region. So let me give you an example. We are a global organization. We do the candy um, process in each of our regions, Asia, Europe, and the U.S. Yeah, right. We build our business processes and our infrastructures on a global level. But at the end of the day, all experience is local. And you will find that you will see experience that our global policies um, produce different results in each region. And the candidate really helps us do a compare and contrast um, Of of what candidates are experiencing in those places at a high level where we can very quickly go and zero in and figure out where we need to make adjustments on a regional level.
0: Oh, that's great. And Elin, thank you so much. Cause again, that, for me, that completely connects back to the work that you've done and on both the communication and the connection side of your, of the recruiting process and, and serving the candidate as a as customer. The last thing I want to ask you is outside of everything that we've talked about today, um, about recruitment and talent acquisition and candidate experience, what else does Elin have a sweet tooth for? What do you do outside of work?
1: So I have a, it's not maybe a unique obsession, but I have a huge Disney obsession. Ah. Um, and it actually, it actually started with um, it just being, you know, growing up and, and being, you know, growing up in a Disney family, but being an experienced um, architect and, and spending a lot of time designing experiences in my day job, right, yep. which is what I do. Yep um mm-hmm. being able to um i i watch and i'm deeply involved and spend a lot of time listening to and hearing um how disney has been designing experiences and, and how they create this kind of uh, customer world um and i get very involved and engaged with understanding that so that i and i find i pull bits and pieces from that all the time right that whole idea of candidate as customer is no different than you know uh, customers who walk into a theme park, who or, or mm-hmm. who choose to to purchase something. Right. Um, so at right. the same time, I get to enjoy it and engage with it and go geek out. Um, I also pull stuff all the time.
0: I love it, and I will geek out with you. And I know my whole family. Loves Disney. We we take we've been taking the girls every year now for the past few years, and look forward to going again yeah. this year. Thank you so much for being on the Candies Shop Talk podcast. Appreciate it, and we look forward to seeing you down that candy road.
1: Great, awesome. Thanks a lot, Kevin.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Candy Shop Talk. For more information about Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards and Research, please visit www.thetalentboard.org.